And we are just going to cross now to Parliament, where former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is beginning her valedictory speech. Mr Speaker, when it came time to pen these words, my father suggested that I go back and look at the first ones I shared in this house. I remember writing my maiden speech so well. I was 28 years old. My family were living overseas and I'd only moved back to New Zealand a few months prior. If I'm honest, I was probably more than a little shocked to be here. A feeling that even after 15 years never quite left me. But the reasons I came here, they never left me either. They're all there in my maiden speech. Climate change, child poverty, inequality, I am, after all, a conviction-based politician. And I've always believed this to be a place where you can make a difference. I leave knowing that to be true. But despite that, I've become used to my time as Prime Minister being distilled down into a different list. A domestic terror attack, a volcanic eruption, a pandemic. A series of events where I found myself in people's lives during their most grief-stricken or traumatic moments. Their stories and phases remain etched in my mind and likely will forever. That is the responsibility and privilege of the role of Prime Minister. A role I never thought I was meant to have. It's fair to say that 2017 involved a surprising chain of events. <laughs> At the beginning of the year, David Shearer announced that he would be leaving the opposition benches and parliament for Sudan. It was remarked upon at the time that this was apparently a more appealing prospect than being in opposition. <laughs> I found myself in a by-election for Mount Albert and soon after that as deputy leader of the Labour Party. But that was just the half of it. It was the 1st of August and we were a mere seven weeks out from an election when Andrew Little stood down as leader of the Labour Party and nominated me to take his place. I've always found it hard to explain what that period felt like. It was a cross between a sense of duty to steer a moving freight train and being hit by one. <laughs> and that's probably because my internal reluctance to lead was matched only by a huge sense of responsibility. Andrew, I likewise know that you made your decision with that same sense of responsibility. And while I have never known whether to curse you or thank you, I'm grateful for the faith you always had in me. The seven-week campaign that followed was frenetic. Mike Jaspers, my Chief Press Secretary at the time, recently reminded me that a week into the job, after a very long day, I fell asleep on a plane, woke up with a start, and asked him if I was still the leader of the Labour Party. <laughs> Those few short weeks were also a blessing. There was no time to be anything but myself. And I also had the chance to be involved in everything, 
a real treat for a control freak. <laughs> I remember sitting at my desk in the home that Clark and I shared in Auckland, writing a campaign launch speech. I knew I wanted climate change to be front and centre because I believed it would define our generation of politicians. I called it our nuclear-free moment. I believed it then and I believe it even more now. When I came here 15 years ago, we talked about climate change as if it were almost a hypothetical. Some didn't even give it that credit. In 2008, I sat in that lobby as the ETS was weakened and the yo-yo of climate policy continued. But in the intervening years, we have seen firsthand the reality of our changing environment, from Northland to Coromandel, Tokamaru Bay to Bulla, and I've seen the people it's impacted. Like the elderly couple on the west coast who had lived in their home for their entire married lives, they'd only recently returned to it after a year's worth of post-flooding repairs when it was flooded again. We're too old to keep doing this, they told me. They've not returned to their home. Now, I know there is politics in almost everything. This chamber understands why more than anyone. But we also know when and how to remove it. When crisis has landed in front of us, I have seen the best of this place. An absolute focus on the care of others, on preserving life and helping people when they need it most. Climate change is a crisis. It is upon us. And so one of the very few things I will ask of this House on my departure is that you please take the politics out of climate change. There will always be policy differences, but beneath that we have what we need to make the progress we must. We have not just a credible but an ambitious NDC to reduce our net emissions by 50% by 2030. We have the Zero Carbon Act, Carbon Budgets and Emissions Reduction Plan and a Climate Commission to guide us. We have business on board and the primary sector working hard on a shared set of goals. And it's making a difference. We're starting to see our emissions come down with total greenhouse gas emissions falling to their lowest levels in eight years. But New Zealand needs this place to provide them with certainty that you will keep going. So do. We owe it to the next generation, but we also owe it to ourselves. To the Green Party, especially James and Marama, I've enjoyed working with you immensely, and I've seen how tireless you both are even when you're thrown into your own party processes that from the outside look something akin to the Squid Games. <laughs> Thank you for the personal support I have felt from both of you. A friend of mine taught me early on in politics that there is no point looking back in anger. And I feel no need to when there are so many things I feel proud of things that I know are different or better because we had a Labour government. Like our work to uphold the treaty by crossing the bridge more often. The creation of the Māori Crown Relations portfolio under the excellent leadership of Calvin Davis. Thank you, Calvin. The stewardship of Te Arafiti, the establishment of the Māori Health Authority, the growth of Te Reo Māori, the evolution of how we see ourselves as a nation through the teaching of New Zealand history in schools and the creation of Matariki, our first Indigenous public holiday. Yeah. 
The path we travel as a nation will not be linear and it won't always be easy. But for the part of the trail that I had the privilege of leading, I'm glad we took on the hilly bits. It's fair to say that all told, we had a few mountains to climb though. I always wanted to be part of a government that had a focus on children. I can't exactly pinpoint the origins of that passion, but I've talked many times of the distinct memories I have of children in poverty during the 1980s. And so it was with much excitement that I was lucky enough to take on the role of the children's spokesperson from Annette King while in opposition. Annette had already done a huge amount of policy work, a trait of Annette's that she was well-renowned for, almost as much as her relentless attempts to set single people up. <laughs> but there was still space for further child poverty initiatives, so we got to work creating policy that was ready to be rolled out in their first 100 days of office, including the Child Poverty Reduction Act. In 2017, when we first formed government, almost one in five children were living in poverty. Most child poverty measures in New Zealand were going backwards. Now, I am not here to say that everything is perfect now. It is not. But the healthy home standards, the increases in benefits and their indexation to wages, the winter energy payment, introduction of Best Start and the creation of food in schools, means that as I leave, despite the severe economic conditions, there are 77,000 fewer children living in low-income households. All nine child poverty measures have reduced. And this winter, a sole parent will receive $212 more per week than when we came into office. But now, you just need to keep going. Someone asked me recently whether there were things I wish I'd managed to finish. There were definitely projects I would have liked to have seen through. You know, projects like the restoration of the St. James or <laughs> the beginning and completion of Tokelau's airstrip. Yeah. A project I felt strongly about after visiting this beautiful, beautiful but remote realm country. I know if they told me in advance that visiting Tokelau in the absence of a place to dock would instead mean climbing onto what looked like an IRB whilst it's hanging over the side of a moving ship and then being dropped into the ocean by a very qualified, I'm sure, but very young-looking sailor, <laughs> all while straddling what looks and feels like a unicycle seat whilst wearing a politasi, <laughs> I would absolutely still have gone. I just would have worn bike pants. <laughs> but aside from such projects, there were very few things I aspired to do in politics that have a natural end point. Poverty, inequality, ending environmental degradation. If you ever claim it's job done on those issues, you set the bar too low. Politics has never been a tick list for me. It's always been about progress. Sometimes you can measure it and sometimes you can't. We won't ever know the long-term benefits of banning conversion therapy especially for our young people, or what it means to our Pacific communities that we finally apologise for the dawn raids. There will be no list of the lives saved because of the banning of military-style semi-automatic weapons. We won't know how we left women feeling about the ability to make their own choices when this parliament decriminalised abortion, or when we improved pay equity, put period products into schools, or reached 50% representation of women in parliament. 
And while these things may not feature heavily in the history books when they write about the years 2017 to 2023, which will likely be a very heavy few chapters, they are still nonetheless things I feel very proud of. And we're leaving that speech now by former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern giving her valedictory speech there in Parliament, referencing her maiden speech, which she gave at the age of 28 years old. You're